Friends, have you ever had that experience of driving home and realizing you've arrived but you haven't paid any attention to how it was that you got there? It was recorded in your memory bank so you could, your mind could wander. Fortunately, your eyes kept locked on the road and your hands knew how to drive you safely home, but as you pull into your driveway or into your space, you have arrived without really encoding it into your memory that time. Or do you perhaps have the experience day to day of watching someone you live with and love and know like the back of your hand change little by little, but not really noticing how much they've changed over time? Does your phone share memories with you? Do they pop up throughout your week reminding you, look back on this day from five, six, ten years ago? I see people post pictures of their children, and they write, how is it possible that little Juliet is 11? And they'll do a side-by-side of their infant and their baby now. Or how is this the same baby? And they'll show a one-week-old and a young man headed off to high school. It is hard for us to process the passage of time. Preachers look for what we call sermon illustrations, and two were handed to me today. We have the wrong date on our cover of our bulletin this morning. COVID did a number on all of our timelines. We are processing time so strangely. We might say last year and mean three years ago. Time is eluding us. But then there are those times we need to pause and take stock and appreciate the time that has passed and where it is that we have arrived. I feel as though our relationship with Judaism is like this. And in Advent, we experience this relationship and the need to pause and reflect and take stock of the passage of time most profoundly. As we turn to the prophet Isaiah, it is like that memory popping up on our phone, reminding us of this. This church is dressed for Christmas, and we read the ancient Jewish texts which claim, as we do as well, that we are waiting for a Messiah. Of course, we are waiting for the Messiah to return, to finish what he started, And our Jewish siblings are waiting for the Messiah to arrive, and we stand side by side, and it is a good time to pause and reflect, and also to acknowledge that our Jewish neighbors in faith are coming under fire yet again with this continuing rise of anti-Semitism, both hate speech and violent actions. We light this candle of peace. We read the ancient scriptures. We have to pause. So these texts are like signposts which we pass on the journey, a snapshot of what has happened along the way that has brought us here. We are awaiting the gift of the Christ child. Last week we talked about hope and the ultimate folly or foolishness of the Christian tradition, which we claim and own. Hope is one of the most foolish things that we do. But ultimately today we have the other side of the coin, Hope as folly might be the shadow side, and this is the side that faces the light. We light a candle of peace, and we acknowledge the deep and profound wisdom which we have inherited from Judaism. So let us read our two scriptures today. One, the prophet Isaiah, reminding us that it was always God's wise plan for the earth to be full of a state of peace, of shalom, of unity and connection, and a deep awareness of that unity and connection. And in our second reading, another signpost along the way, 
the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans about how exactly we got here, how it is that we, who would call ourselves Gentiles, have been enfolded into this sacred family. Let us listen together for the word of God. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. And from Paul's letter to the Romans. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, and that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And he says again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of God's holy word. So friends, there are three themes in the reading for today that I want to trace. And because they hang together only tenuously, I want to name them so if I get lost along the way in preaching, we can return and unpack these three themes throughout the scriptures. First, there is a theme of welcome, how we welcome people and what that means. There is the theme of family and ultimately peace and how it functions in God's created order. To begin with welcome, 
I hope, first of all, that we are a welcoming community, that those who came in through these doors yesterday for the Three Kings Bazaar and those who come to visit us for worship do feel welcomed. Welcoming people as a church community is very tricky. We can read our open and affirming statement, and we truly mean it, that all are welcome here. We have one of our pathways as invite, love, and welcome all, and we try to live that out in so many ways. This church is full of community groups that gather all over the building all week long. And I do hope that each of the groups feels just as at home in the space as we do in the sanctuary. But it is a tricky thing to be a welcoming church because it is not our welcome to give, really. Paul writes, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Jesus is the host of this place. I might offer the welcome and say who was welcome here, but just as I came in through the doors, Jesus welcomed me. We all come here afresh, and anyone who comes in for the first time recreates the community by their presence in the same way that anybody who's been here for nine generations. We are all welcomed into Jesus's home. So welcoming churches might not write something like join us on all of their, you know, bulletins and signage because there isn't an us and a you. It's always a collective, a we. So welcome one another as Jesus welcomes you. And then another theme that we trace throughout the week is similar. It's the idea of family. Some people want to describe church as a church family. In the Catholic tradition, the priest is called the father, and all people are referred to as brothers and sisters in just about every faith community. So we use this familial language. When we baptize a baby, we welcome them into the one household of faith. But there are others who push back against family as a way of describing what we are doing here, because families are closed systems. You can be born into them. You might be adopted into them. And you can marry into them, but you don't wake up as an adult one day, just as a visitor might decide to walk into a congregation, and say, oh, I'd like to be part of your family now. When is your family reunion? Because I'm going to show up. They still have that us versus them quality. And sometimes you can't fully marry in. You might always feel like an outsider, like the in-law, or like we joke in my family, the outlaw, When you go to the family gatherings, there's always still that who are the original group and who has been joined in by marriage. And then, of course, there's also the theme of we don't want to call ourselves a family because of all of the ways that, sadly, no one can mess you up quite like your own family. (laughs) So we don't want to call ourselves a family because people think, you know what, I have enough trouble with the one family I have. I don't need trouble with this other family. No one can hurt you more than your own family, and nothing weighs heavier than generational baggage handed down. There is no more wounding message than the ones we receive as children. And so when you choose a community of faith as a fully actualized adult, you don't want to sit in a room with people who echo that baggage. The ideal is that it would be like Letty Russell calls the church a household of freedom, one that we come and join as liberated people who can accept and welcome one another as they are. 
Or perhaps if your family of origin feels very healthy and whole and you engage one another in a wholehearted way, it could feel phony to say, this is my church family. Because would you call them in the middle of the night if your mother were rushed to the ER? No, it's not their mother. So it feels fake to use words like brother and sister if we don't fully mean it. So we avoid it. And as we trace our lineage back when we hold up this snapshot, we also see that Judaism this faith from whence we come, is also very much a closed system. There is one way to be Jewish, and it is to be born Jewish because your mother is Jewish. It follows the maternal line. And Judaism also has a very high bar for membership. This is the theme that the Apostle Paul is wrestling with in his letter to the Romans. To be Jewish, you have to be circumcised, you have to follow strict dietary laws. How do fully actualized Gentiles in this ancient Roman time wake up one day and say, I'm going to join that family? It wasn't possible. You do not come as an outsider, like church hopping, and see if this is the family that is right for you. Or can you? So this was shared by Carlos A. Rodriguez, a progressive public theologian who leads the Happy Givers Foundation in Puerto Rico, and he's wrestling with this idea. He writes, the Bible is clear. Moabites are bad. They were not to be allowed to dwell among God's people. But then comes the story of Ruth, and Ruth is Jesus's great, 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 great grandmother. And she is a Moabite. That challenges all of the prejudice that the people of God were supposed to feel against the Moabites. So they are in. The Bible is clear, however, that people from Uz are evil. But then comes the story of Job, the most blameless people on earth. So perhaps these people are also in. The Bible is clear. No foreigners or eunuchs are allowed. But then comes the story of the Ethiopian eunuch welcomed into the church and baptized, who asked the question, what is to prevent me? And the answer, nothing. The Bible is clear. God's people are enemies with the Samaritans. But then Jesus tells a story that shows the good Samaritan. Someone you call the other could be the best model for faithful living. I think you've all heard this before. The story may begin with prejudice and discrimination and animosity, but the spirit moves God's people toward welcomeness, welcome, openness, inclusion, acceptance, and affirmation. So this is all true. But in our scriptures today, we also have the counter parallel story. People came to understand over time that God's circle was always drawn wider than they thought it was. But God always knew that. God didn't start with a small circle. God's ultimate plan was always for full inclusion for everybody. So this is what Paul is referring back to. It was always, Paul is quoting Isaiah, and it was always God's plan to bring in all people. God loves everyone. So there is never truly an other. It's just as we grow in faith, we cover God's so I've been reading through this book, it's not new, I hope some of you have read it, it's by Thomas Hale, it's more well known for his book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, but this is the, gift, uh, the gifts of the Jews, how a tribe of desert nomads changed the way everyone thinks and feels. And I also commend to you this book, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. So the gifts of the Jews, Jerusalem, as we spoke about last week, 
was supposed to be a light to the nations. How was it that the city on a hill that was held to be sacred by one small group of people was supposed to be a light to all people? And in this book, The Gift of the Jews, it traces through the idea that before Judaism, there was no unity, but everyone could have their own individual god or goddess, and you could have a little... Uh, some little pocket, some little talisman, like a good luck charm, some little carved piece of wood or stone, and it would represent your personal god or goddess. That god or goddess only cared about you. It's sort of like a guardian angel. Were any of you raised with the concept of a guardian angel? One bullying who watched over you. Did you ever hear, never trust your guardian angel can fly? Your guardian angel must have been taking very good care of you on those trips home when you was wandering. But we have an understanding that all guardian angels would answer to God. There is one bigger overarching God. But without that God, when people only had their one little deity, they could be as violent toward one another as they wanted. Their God could want the slaughter of anybody who disagreed with them or anyone who stood in the way of their own personal success. The main, the first gift of the Jews is this relationship with one God that no other little God who only cares about you exists. There is one God, and what that one God wants is your love and appreciation and respect for every other person, because God is the God of that person as well. And so also that God is personal, that God is not an energy source. God is not the universe. God is not the cosmos. God is the creator of all that is, but God creates out of an overflow of love for you, yes, but also for everyone else as well. And that radically changes how we are to live together. In ancient times, societies could be so violent that you could have a 50-50 chance in some of them of dying by the hand of another human being. Imagine living your life with a 50-50 chance of being slaughtered. But not so if we all claim that there is only one God and that God loves each and every being on earth, and not just the human beings, all beings. That drastically changes how we understand the world. So the third theme is peace. This is the Sunday of peace. Did you hear God's vision for shalom? This love God, love neighbor idea that all could live, we might say it's a fairy tale, but all could live happily ever after, even the lion and the lamb. But God erases all borders that we, we would want to draw around ourselves. But this is what's so amazing. As we talked about last week, all tribes, all nations can come to this one realization, this one understanding, but they don't have to change who they are fundamentally. And this is where we come in. That Paul says to the Gentiles, you can have a different way of being, a different way of living, and you are still welcomed in. The images that Paul uses are like a tree where you are a branch from a different tree, but you have been grafted into this loving relationship with God because the circle has drawn wide enough to bring you in. Another way I like to think of it is that we might be on this highway, and Jesus is just like an on-ramp that lets more and more and more people come in. The bar might be set very high in Judaism, but there are other ways to receive this gift from the Jews and worship one God, one God of love who invites us all in together. 
So to return to the theme of family, God creates a new human family in Jesus and shares God's gift of divine revelation. I am here, I love you, you are mine, and you all belong to one another, that this is the message that we all hear when we come together. So Advent, I think, is a time to reimagine what peace might look like. A wise person once said, if you want to love someone, let them be themselves. I offer that to all of you as you are going, hopefully, to gather with friends and family over the holidays. Some of us are easier to love than others. Let other people be themselves. Celebrate them the way they are. Don't try to change them. And if we could use that same model as people of faith, keeping this expansive openness to one another, be who you are, let others be who they are, celebrate everyone the way they are, but ultimately remember, there is one God who loves each and every one of us. So friends, I think we have driven home unaware of how we got here. We're arriving at a family reunion, and we are the other. We have married into this pre-existing family through Jesus' love for us, and we are invited to become a part of this community where there is no us versus them, only a we. Thanks be to God.